Coming up on this episode of Business Interrupted. Because if you're in it for the right reasons and you genuinely want to help people, then actually you can be really successful. But I remember interviewing for the big corporate I work for and the internal recruiter said to me, why do you want to get into recruitment? I said, I want to help people. She said, well, stop there. We're not here to help people. Mm. We're here to make money. Mm. I was like, all right, okay. Business Interrupted. Business Interrupted. Business Business Interrupted. interrupted. With Trent and Richard. Powered by wearefulfillment.co.uk. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Business Interrupted. We are now on episode five. Four. Four. It is five. This is the podcast for founders. Yes, for founders by founders. But today we've got somebody slightly different on who hasn't founded an e-commerce business, but certainly knows their way around. They know one or two founders in the game and they have helped quite a few people get to where yes. they are as a result of the work that they do. And I would say this episode has definitely been one of the most interesting we would say, what have you learned about founders of e-commerce brands or startups? And then both of us sat there thinking, yes, we can 100% relate. Tell us more. Yeah. And he's a really charismatic guy. And based on the sector that he's in, i.e. recruitment, you probably wouldn't necessarily expect to find somebody as open and honest as this chap mm-hmm. is. And it's a really interesting conversation. Now, what's interesting to me, Trent Peak, is that Businesses always say, what is the most important part of every business? Sales. I wasn't supposed to say that, was I? (laughs) (laughs) What's the most important thing in every business and organization? Employees, culture. People. Mm. All about the people. Yet, why is it that recruitment and recruitment consultants get such a heavy rep? Well, why don't we try and delve into that answer? That's a great idea. Should we do that with our guest today, Ali? I think we should. But before we do that, any chance you've got? A question or a hook for me? So three episodes ago, you started something that hopefully means people listen to us for longer. So what yourself or I have done once previously is ask a question or a bit of trivia and knowledge, tease at the start, and then at the end you drop the answer and people go, wow. Okay, now I'm going to go a bit controversial with this one. Right. Because I'm going to do a visual one. And I'm aware that this is a podcast, but I'm going to give you a photograph. And I want you to, A, explain to the listeners what's in the photograph. And secondly, what you think is happening in the photograph. Okay, and then you're going to tell me at the end of the podcast. (laughs) Exactly right. And I'm going to post it on the social media channels so that we can all see it, so people can play along at home. Nice. This isn't just thrown together, you know. You ready for it? Yep. Describe what is going on, because this podcast is all about people. Yeah. So this is a photograph. Oh, of... that is disgusting. <laughs> oh, I was sorry, wrong, wrong picture. Yeah, yeah, ding, swipe ding, back. Ding. Do, 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 do. Okay, so we've got lots of people lying down with a dog. It looks from the old, I don't know, I'd say 1890s, 1900s. So describe exactly what you can see. Theatre of the mind, Trent. Theater okay, of so the there's, mind. there's four, what looks like emergency beds that they'd use in the military with, no, there's five of them. Or is there? There's four of them with four people face down, lying down on them. One of them's got a dog between their legs. There's then a table. Is it just one of them with a dog between their legs? Oh, no. There's two of them with dogs between their legs. Two of them have not got dogs between their legs. How many more times can you say dogs between their legs? (laughs) At the back of the photo, there's what looks like a clock. Mm -hmm. The room has got big windows. There's a table on there. And I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what they're doing. 
What do you think they're doing in that photograph? So to me, it looks like they're concentrating on doing something with their hands whilst lying down because they're not sleeping. And why would they be doing that? Could I have some time to think and then we'll wrap this up at the end of the podcast? Otherwise, there's going to be two and a half minutes of silence. I've never seen you look so intently, by the way, in your life. You're really trying to crack this, aren't you? I am. Just trying to see if there's any clues anywhere. But anyway, great one, Rich. Me and the audience cannot wait to find out. You don't need to be facetious in every podcast, okay? (laughs) Right, so Ali has slipped into our DMs. Oof, I say. On one or two occasions, and he's a really, really interesting guy. And if you are a founder, or you're in any way interested in recruitment, or finding people to join your organisation, have a listen to this one. This man has really got an understanding as to what makes young businesses tick, and also how to find great people to join them. Definitely. Have a listen. Do you know what's quite nice about our guests when they're not coming into the podcast? Because we've got some of the episodes now live. Yeah, yeah. They're listening to them on the way. And judging them. And judging them. So by the time they walk in through the front door, they're kind of going, oh, I don't know what to expect from this now. It's like we're creating something living and breathing. By the time they walk through the front door, they've listened to the latest episode. Yeah, and we have a slightly different guest to past guests. Yeah. Don't own an e-commerce brand, but very much in that space. So we're going to hear about things from the other foot. Is that a phrase? Uh, it could be. From the other foot. So, should we get stuck in? Let's get stuck in. Do you want to introduce our guest, Trent? Yes, of course. So today, we have Ali Marshall, sat with us right now, who actually we haven't known a vast amount of time, but we get on very well. And the insight and value that Ali will have in the space we're in, but also all of our partners are in, is going to be very insightful. So, he was right at the top of the list to get onto the podcast, so... Welcome to the show. Thank you. No pressure. <laughs> well, I'm going to say right at the top of the list. Okay, good. You said uh, we were like Ant and Deck. Which one's Ant and which one's Deck? Oh, pff, I don't know. I've got a big forehead, <laughs> if that helps. I'm more like Banton Deck. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me something. How do you describe yourself in terms of what you do for a living? That's a really interesting question. So I obviously own a recruitment brand. I co-founded one recruitment brand and I founded another recruitment brand. So I help D2C brands scale quickly with their talent. So mm-hmm. I would find resource. If a brand is just had investment, they've just had some backing, or if they're bootstrapped and actually they're going through a huge growth cycle, then I would step in and help them resource mm. staff, get good talent in the door for them. Mm. Ah, and did you find yourself accidentally getting into recruitment or did you find yourself going from day dot, I want to do this for a living? Six so years I'm, old. I'm a, pe- I'm, a yeah. dream in life. I'm a people person. I, I don't think anybody ever in history of time has gone to school and went, I want to get into recruitment. <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind of role you just fall into and mm. you get suckered in. And, and early 2000s when I joined recruitment, so 2006, I remember I was moving from Wakefield to Solihull and I needed a job. Now, I... I Worked abroad for three years, doing some sales type stuff. So I was good at selling. I was a trained actor. So I was like, right, okay, I can do that. No problem. You were a trained actor? Yeah. So I got well, a degree in acting. We'll, we'll, we'll dig into that later. Yeah. Got a film on Amazon Prime. Back. You can check it out later. <laughs> you, you've got a film on Amazon Prime? Yeah. That's decent, that. Yeah, I, I don't think it's on Amazon Prime UK. Though. That's the weird thing. It used to be. We're 100% committed to a VPN if, if it's not <laughs> on the UK, Amazon Prime. <laughs> so I moved to, to Solihull and was like, all right, I need a job get a job in sales my plan was to move down train as a teacher and teach post 16 college drama acting type stuff and I was applying for these sales jobs loads of random sales jobs and then someone phoned me and said have you thought about recruitment I'm like, no what is it and her exact words were it's a gold mine 
Well, that was me. Ting. Okay. So I spent the next three weeks, apply, apply, every recruitment job going. I was going down to Solihull, interviewing four or five interviews a day. That's how I got into recruitment. I never looked back, really. And I spent 12 years in corporate recruitment, which was a really interesting, probably a full podcast on its own, just of how times have changed. Mm. And then through some family health issues and kind of complications, if you like, I left the corporate world in 2018 and co-founded a business with my friend who's one of my former directors who already had a business. I was going to set up on my own. I met him for a beer and he said, well, why would you do that? I've got all the infrastructure. I've got all the stuff. Just set up your business within my business. So I did that and then that evolved until Inco Talent was launched last year based on the needs of the customer. And mm-hmm. that's what I think is, is the key. So yeah, that's how I got into recruitment. So... Just coming back a little bit on your comment there when you said somebody's described it as a gold mine. Yeah. So that will undoubtedly make some people bristle when they hear that as the initial description. That paired with recruitment consultants, recruitment agencies can have a bad rep. But me and you have spoke about it previously and you think that reputation is fully warranted in certain aspects of the industry. Not to go down the whole sell yourself, but what makes you your companies the way you operate different to the kind of classic make a quick book and move on i don't know how to use an analogy here without being a bit personal so i split from my ex-wife last year and when you do online dating you're kind of looking at someone and going okay yeah first date yeah no problems move it to the second base third bit and all of a sudden you're in a relationship now if you just want to go on tinder and have a load of one night stands you're never actually going to build any relationships Mm -hmm. so in recruitment I worked in a world and I joined a business where in month one, some of the reading and as part of the learning, it was go home and watch Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Have you ever seen that film with Al Pacino? Brilliant film. Go home, watch Boiler Room. And it was like you were trained in Boiler Room mentality. Get on the phone, make some sales, make some money. And really the customer was secondary to making money. Yeah. I then, I suppose, flipped that now and... I have got values now that mean that the customer is everything to me. I'd rather do something for free to make the customer happy than charge a service for something. So I think my values really in in terms of my business are around communication, which I think ties in quite nicely with honesty and integrity and being open, working really hard, having a great work ethic and just not being a dick. Because if your customer needs something, and you need to flex or you need to offer them something different or you need to help them with something that might not directly benefit you, ultimately, if you can have that give us gain mentality and you give, 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 then your business will come back because you've got integrity and people realise that, you know what, actually, this is not a salesperson. This is a potential extension of our business and this is a partner for us to work with and trust. We know he'll represent our brand in the right kind of way, say the right things to candidates and give them a great experience before they join our business. And that's massive. Whereas I think if you're kind of just higher and fire, way next, 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 you mm. just do what you can to make as maximize and make as much money as you can on one transaction, not seeing the bigger picture that, well, hold on. If you were a bit more flexible and you didn't want to charge them 25% and make a huge fee on that one placement just serving in the office at high five year, actually you could take a longer view and say, okay, I tell you what, why don't we do a deal on that? If you've got future recruitment, why can't I be your partner? Mm-hmm. And I'll do it all at 15%. Yeah, because you're very much about a long-term relationship. A lot of your clients you work with for a very long time. Yeah. And it's all about paying it forward. 100%. 
And most of my client relationships have come from people who are candidates. Do you get the impression that the, the industry is based on people that find themselves in recruitment, but secretly don't want to be there or are saying, I'll do this for a little while, but this is not going to be a long-term thing? Because of so many of the relationships I've built up with recruitment consultants over the years, their heart's not in it. Yeah, yeah. They've lost the will Absolutely. to actually even have real long-term relationships because they almost don't see the merit in what they're doing. Yeah, and I think that comes from working for someone else mm. and working for a corporate in a lot of ways because you're just feeding somebody else. You're feeding a director, you're feeding their bonus mm. and whatever else and their Ferrari and all this kind of stuff. I think you've touched on a good point there because if you're in it for the right reasons and you genuinely want to help people, then actually you can be really successful. But I remember interviewing for the big corporate I worked for and the internal recruiter said to me, why do you want to get into recruitment? I said, I want to help people. She said, well, stop there. We're not here to help people. Mm. We're here to make money. Mm. I was like, all right, okay. Suits me. I don't care. I want to make loads of money. So at the time, I didn't care. It didn't yeah, matter yeah. to me. But that comment, and bear in mind that interview was 2006. I can still recall that conversation. That mentality is everything that's wrong with recruitment. Yeah, mm. for sure. And that's why it got the reputation of unfortunate car sales, excess salespeople, yeah. call centers, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Because it was all about quick book, quick fire, get in, get out. Mm. You're going to get celebrated more for making a big fee. If you make a placement for 15 grand, you get celebrated and lauded. If you do three at five grand, <laughs> rubbish, five grand. Yeah. Don't make no money on that, it's rubbish. Mm. Well, hold on, I've made the same money. Yeah, and I've got three more in the pipeline, so trust me now. <laughs> exactly. But I've got a question for you. But mm. here, interestingly enough, we get by far the most call-ins of recruitment agencies just coming in with a cake or, oh, really? or with a pamphlet. Okay, good. But the interesting thing about that, like, that probably happens once a week. More than that. But more than that. Over the last 12 months, we've had a representative from an agency come in and say, hand over the leaflet and talk about their agency, how they're d different, this, that, and the other. But on three separate occasions, they've then said, also... You got any jobs? Mm -hmm. oh, okay. For, for me, mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, that's what we're talking about. It's like, no, 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 for me personally. Yeah. And it's just so weird for that to happen. That's not a normal thing when that's really happening. Well, the interesting thing for me is that you need to be a really, really good salesperson to be in recruitment. Mm. And the inability for people to people to even sell their services, let alone sell, sell their people, is incredible. The lack of originality with which they engage with you is staggering sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, it's all very nice people bringing in muffins and leaving them in the front, but it says nothing about what they're trying to do. They can't form a relationship. A lot of them can't look you in the eye, Absolutely. which is why the way that you put yourself out there specifically using things like LinkedIn is really interesting. Tell me about how you actually market yourself because LinkedIn is vital for you, isn't it? Yeah, and that is, I would guess, I don't think I can go 100, but 98% of my business is from LinkedIn. Mm. If you follow me on LinkedIn, you won't see me post that many things about me and my business. Yeah. I do, from time to time, I'll post some feedback and a recommendation because they do sell. Mm. I would say that the giver's gain and being active on LinkedIn are the two things that get me the most. Mm. And when I say the giver's gain, you give stuff away for free, constantly sharing jobs with other people. I've seen an agency advertise this job, it'd be good for a candidate I know who's looking, I'll send them that. Now, I don't make any money off that, obviously. I'm just trying to help someone out. And the other side of sharing content about business is, is more about being active and letting people know that you're there without saying, hey, I'm here. Yeah, I'm going to send you a cold email or a cold email. Which will have the opposite effect. Yeah. I think for me, it's more putting content out there that people can consume. So it's either adding value or, or not being afraid to be authentic in the way you do it and not kind of going out saying, hi, I am this and I am the best thing ever and we are this big. And, you know, you see a lot of 25 years experience doing it. Okay. Does that make you better than someone who's got two years? Yeah. Well, what if someone's got 30 years? Are they better than you? Yeah. 
it's not about that and putting those things in perspective it's about the value you can create and the value you can add for somebody mm. what is your value add so for me my value add is I can give you industry insight and, and expertise I don't know if you know about the guy who founded AO.com they've got some mantras up there he's got these two statements one is about would you say that to your nan or something along those lines because he wants that culture within his business mm. that people are just doing the right thing yeah so we had a quick chat before and you know inadvertently so much about founding an e-commerce business the do's and don'ts you work with so many founders over time but before we get to that i want the worst story you've had or interaction with a recruitment consultant or agency or individual in your careers and what a probably epitomizes the bad rep that they get but you can't use me as an example <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that was in the Shocking, contract before useless. but why should, why should you guys think so i remember it was about eight years ago we put uh, an advert on monster indeed or whatever for, for a job role and then we got a call from a local recruitment firm who said i've got the perfect candidate for you she's been vetted she's fantastic she's been on our books for a while and we interviewed her and she ended up getting the role and once she got the role, it fact, we found out at that point that this individual had never met this person. All <laughs> they'd done is found a CV on Indeed, found our job on Indeed and thought, yeah, they could probably do. And he then came in to solicit business like three or four weeks later. And he turned around to me and said, oh, how's that bird getting on, by the way? And it's just, did you actually just say bird, first of all, in this one day and age? <laughs> Couldn't remember the role couldn't remember her name and it's just like wow that is horrendous oh my God. so did he ever get any more work absolutely not well and this is what we go back to isn't it about these relationships or transactions isn't it that's just a transactional approach you guys got one you you go first i could tell you thousands <laughs> when i was recruiting in really competitive it spaces you'd always post adverts out and other agencies would just phone you up pretending to be a candidate so they'd do it all the time they'd phone up and you'd be like mm, are you this don't sound like you've got 25 years experience of .NET development, mates. He's yeah. <laughs> in a crowd of, oh, what's that job? Where's that job at, mate? So, yeah, I'm really interested. And they'd obviously have someone else's CV, like a candidate. Oh, I've worked for so-and-so and I've done this and I've done the other. Have you? Really? So they're reading somebody else's CV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And they're the recruitment consultant trying to find out where the job is. So they're ringing me up because I'm the one advertising the, the role with one of my customers. And they're ringing me up pretending to be that candidate. It's like, all right, cool. Yeah, okay. And then what we then did is figured out who it was. Okay, blah, blah, blah. And then we were phoned that office and said, oh, interestingly, one of your consultants has just called me, blah, 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 and just spoke to their director because it's just so low rent, isn't it? My worst experience... Because I wasn't really allowed to use recruitment consultants in, in our job. I came from a corporate world whereby it was deemed to be of a kind of prestigious enough nature that people would want to work for this company yeah, yeah. and didn't ever need to use them. But we were having difficulty filling a senior sales job. So I was given the authorization to use recruitment consultants. And then they came, you know, all these various candidates. And there was one candidate that came through and I was told to see him by a recruitment consultant. And the guy in question had been on The Apprentice and he'd become a runner-up and he'd become he'd got quite a few column inches because he was quite a big personality on the show yeah i wasn't a big fan of the apprentice anyway but anyway i agreed to see him and the recruitment consultant was saying he's nothing like you see on screen he's a really good guy you've got to see him so i met him and eventually i was kind of suckered in by the sales spiel that i was given by the recruitment consultant given the job 
and I fired him four days later. <laughs> so I literally had to do the, 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 the Alan Sugar thing four yeah. days after. Just, and I swore I'd never use a recruiter. For the second time he's got fired. Yeah, I fired him, yeah. And I, I, I swore I'd never use a recruitment consultant again after that on the basis that I got suckered in mm. by that sales pitch by that person by saying, he's changed, he's nothing like that whatsoever. But, what did yeah. he do within four days? So on day three, I called him up to see where he was. He was giving a speech in Milton Keynes about his time on The Apprentice. What? I was like, what are you doing? So up he came and on the Thursday, I'd take him into a room and say, absolutely not. And I had to ring up the recruitment consultant and say, listen, pal, you and I are finished naughty. as well. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty naughty, but... Yeah, firing an apprentice candidate two weeks after he'd been fired by Alan Sugar was a bit of a win. Did you, did you get behind the big desk? <laughs> yes. I got the shaky fist out and all the rest of it. We connect your business to your customers. We integrate your e-commerce with our logistics. We warehouse your stock and dispatch every time you make a sale. We are fulfillment.co.uk. From your store to your customer's door, you sell it and we'll do the rest. And we pick, pack and ship from as little as £1.88 per order. Search wearefulfillment.co.uk, putting the logic into logistics. Where do you see founders going wrong with recruitment? Because we mentioned a bit earlier on, if you're recruiting for corporates, you can take a bit more of a risk, can't yeah. you? If it's your own and business. And they've got training and you know, they've got structures, structures they've got bonuses exactly. and benefits it's and all sorts massive. of things. For founders, it's a different kind of a hire. Yeah. I mean, founders, it's their business, it's their baby. Mm. Typically, what you find with founders is they'll set up a business, whether it's them, their brother, sister, friend, whoever it is that they've set up a business with. They might then know other people from previous jobs that they can bring in around them. So people they're comfortable with that will help them and push mm. in the right direction and probably won't give them much in terms of friction because mm. they, they're, they're on the same page. It's then about hiring um, the right person they can trust and it's really hard. A lot of founders that I've dealt with will hire fast, fire faster. Mm. They all kind of want the same thing. They want replicas of them. Yeah. And I think where you'll find that the best people and the best founders have, have built the best businesses, they've brought in people that have got skill sets they don't have mm. and are not afraid to challenge. Mm. Because challenge is good. People see that as a bad thing. Oh, he's challenging me in the boardroom. Oh, I must do that. I can't have him undermining me. Well, that just shows a bit of naivety on your behalf yeah, because yeah. you're not able to admit the fact that you're not very good at those areas yeah. or you're not humble enough to look at your business and say, well, actually, he's an expert. She's a specialist. She can do this. He can do this. Actually, I'm bringing them in for a purpose to add value to my business. And if they want to challenge me, that's because they know from their experience what good looks like. Most people that set up an e-com business, especially if it's their first business, they don't know what they're doing. They just come across an idea and a product and they go, actually, that seems like a good idea. Yeah. Oh, I might do that. Yeah. And then they'll beaver away as a bit of a side hustle or they'll dive straight into it or you know, however they go about it, they'll quit their job and do it straight away. They don't really know how to run a business. No. So the biggest mistakes they'll make is by hiring lemmings, people will just follow and do what they told them, won't actually add much value, but will probably do the job fine, yeah. but actually won't challenge them and won't push them and stretch them in different ways. And that is really hard for a founder because mm. you'll know yourselves, it's so hard to give up that kind of control. Yeah. I find it really difficult now to, to um, delegate because I'm like, oh, they're not going to do it as well as me or they're not going to but they're going to do it in their own way. And mm. if you're hiring someone with experience, 
you've got to kind of trust that they're going to do that. So founders failing for me around this stuff is not trusting the people they're bringing in, keeping them on such a tight lead, and also bringing them in and then telling them what to do. Mm. Why are you hiring them? If you're bringing in an expert and then you're going to tell them what to do, why are you bothering bringing them in? Yeah. You just bring in another lemmy you can teach. So it, it's really hard to step back mm-hmm. as founders and almost say, okay, no, I'll trust that they can do it. Yeah. And they'll get let down from time to time and that trust gets burnt. The other mistake founders make is hiring the wrong person at the wrong time. Yes. And that's what your job really is to try and understand. You must be quite a good amateur psychologist, by the way, mustn't okay. you? Because you must be able to then tap into, because your name and your reputation is on the line if you get it wrong. Yeah. So if you go back to dating and stuff, if that relationship doesn't work out, that reflects badly on you as being the matchmaker, right? Yeah. And that's a hell of a skill. It is. And generally, if you can get candidates that are newer to the market, i.e. out of university, grads. You can mould. Yeah. Can I ask about grads a minute? Yeah. Because <clears throat> I find it's going back to mindset and attitude and almost a sense of entitlement that some grads do think that they have when they go into the job market. Yeah. I'm speaking with somebody who's in the corner of the room who's a recent graduate who's doing some work for us at the minute. But just going back to that multi-hat discipline, I mean, bless Grace, she's been chucked almost everything in in the marketing and comm space in the last four weeks from design to posts to social media to videos to podcasts to you name it you know it, and it's probably been an absolute whirlwind in terms of that some grads thrive on that kind of thing mm. and some just don't yeah, some yeah. are very fixated on what they think they are yeah, yeah. but i'm all surprised at how few of them are actually on things like linkedin or yep. how they're not prepared to sell themselves on professional platforms like linkedin the way that we all are yeah, yeah. there's it's almost like there's a bit of a disconnect there sometimes and I find it fascinating. Yeah, yeah massively. And I think it, it, gone are the days of Generation X where you had one job for life, yeah. Yeah. maybe two. They're not used to that kind of stuff. So graduates coming out of university now are familiar with stuff that we're not familiar with and they operate in a much better way. I think everything in life now, everything is on their fingertips. They want stuff now, instant gratification. They don't want to wait and they don't want to work their way through necessarily as a rule. But when you find the gems then they will, and they'll give you everything. I had graduate marketing roles, and the graduate marketing role, I think, was like 28K, which is a good salary for someone coming out of university. And Mm. I just think, you need to go out and learn. You need to be around people and Mm. surround yourself with people who can teach you stuff about what you're trying to do. Otherwise, everything's just transactional. You go into a job for 12 months, I don't care, I'll get another one. I'll get another one. I mean, that mentality to me is bonkers. Blows my mind. But that's how it is now. Graduates... Uh, well, I'll just do that for a bit, won't I? Everything they do is just geared up around instant gratification and nothing lasts. It's just a crazy way of living, but that is the future, and I suppose we've got to try and embrace that. We're, we're, we're getting really deep here nope. because my mind went crazily off-field there. I went all the way to Victor Frankl. Mm-hmm. Victor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning mm-hmm. and how meaning comes through the struggle and the journey and the pain because... Actually, if it's always about instant gratification and it is silver spoon throughout their lives, then on the other side of the coin, you've got this increase in kind of emotional problems and depression, anxiety and all that. Are those two related? I don't know. It's probably far too heavy a topic for us to even think about a conclusion. But yeah, I don't know if there's something to that. Well, I think there's a, the gig economy and what's happening right now with the, the the fact that so many people can work remotely, and we could hire someone to do 
some of the work that, that Grace could be doing at the minute in India or in China or in Portugal or wherever it might be and they could do some design or whatever else it might be and that might sort of work for us but that idea of not really being emotionally involved in a job or building relationships or finding any purpose or satisfaction other than a paycheck that's got to have an effect mm. culture and being in an office and being that is, and being challenged and being challenged and also in in contact in just understanding and leading from CEO luminaries like yourself, you know, there is, there is a purpose to that kind of we're thing. We're being serious then. Sorry, I was, I was trying really hard, wasn't I? But there's got to be something in that. And I do worry a little bit by that sense of the multi-hyphen generation. No one's defined by their job anymore. They're defined by the skills they might have. Yeah. And that's absolutely fine. But all the best people that... We, when we sit and listen to really inspirational people in our boardroom or coming in, founders and all the rest of it, <clears throat> they all echo back to having one very inspirational either boss or CEO yeah. that took them under their wing when they first started out and they brought them up and they trained them and they learned from them. And they, they were mentors. Really difficult patch and they came through it. Well, there yeah. is something to that story. You've got to go through that. I've had amazing bosses and terrible bosses, but my God, they, they give me so much of what I am today and I worry about people that don't have that. But that comes all from experience because until you've experienced all that, and that goes back to these founders, if your founders are just focused on, well, I just need people like me and I've not got other yeah. people around me, etc., you're going to struggle because you need that lived experience and you need people that have had lived experience yeah. that can come in and having that broader approach because otherwise you're kind of just stuck in a wheel. Do you think the recruitment industry and the way businesses recruit will dramatically change especially the older generations now you'd like to think that they're, they're there for a few years at least and you put quite a lot of commitment in terms of resource into them but also you pay the fees for the recruitment consultant but actually if we're going to a place where the younger generations 18 months 12 months and that might continue to get shorter and shorter you're dipping in and out yeah. of jobs that surely has got to change the recruitment process and industry one of the things that we're speaking to recruitment agencies and the facts from books that retention is so much cheaper than recruitment because it, yeah. it costs eight, ten thousand, not directly on the bottom line to train somebody up and get them used to that role. What happens there? Yeah. I don't know if it will fundamentally change because it's been around for a long time and it, it's a very simplified process and it? You need someone, I've got someone, we'll put the two together. It, it, it's quite straightforward. I don't think recruitment has to change as an industry. I think the people in it need to be a bit wiser to... Yeah. It's not an A-B model. While we're staring into the future. Are we all pretty much doomed anyway? Because AI is pretty much going to come and destroy every job that's out there because the entire workforce is going to be split. It's going to be culled by a third because AI is going to take over everything that we're doing at the minute anyway. What's your outlook? I would suggest that AI really automation, if you like, has been around a long time. When Industry 4.0 landed in the manufacturing sector and warehousing sector and everyone brought in automation, oh, we're going to lose all these jobs. Well, you're not. You're just going to reposition the people. Mm. And the jobs you are losing are the most unskilled individuals. Mm. So if you want to train them, you bring in some automated material handling within your business to pick and pack all your parcels. Yes, you no longer need the 10 people who can pick and pack all your parcels, but you need people to maintain those machines. Yeah. The, the people who make the machines need people to make the machines. They need people to design the machines. So I don't think you're losing jobs, you're repositioning jobs. And actually, you should be upskilling people. People should be getting upskilled. Rather than being an operative, they could be an engineer. They could get trained over six months to service all the machines. I don't think we're doomed, because if you do some analysis in tech jobs in the UK or, or across the globe now... The fastest growing sector is now 
AI developers, machine learning, I need experts. So there's just a massive push for people. Yeah, so there's one thing out of industries, but it's created a whole new one. Yeah, mm. exactly. So all you redo, you're just repositioning people mm. now. And yes, you're getting smarter. And I think that AI in recruitment can be utilized in loads of different ways. We use AI for all kinds of stuff. Our system picks up new people have been added. It'll instantly send them a message. It, it knows when someone's got an interview, it sends them a message. Mm. Good luck in your interview. Let us know how it goes. Good luck on day one of your job. Now, all that's doing is I used to send text messages to people myself manually. I used to write emails manually. It used to take me ages to do that because communication is key. Well, if a machine can do that for me and I can focus on winning more businesses or doing podcasts for you guys, then I'm all for it. We haven't really talked about AI that much on this podcast already because I'm fascinated by it. Because you're using it to edit the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But the industries and the sectors that are supposedly least worried about it, in inverted commas, on LinkedIn are the ones who probably should be worried about it because the ones who are kind of being a little bit looking down their nose at it, specifically creative industries. I noticed a few people saying, hey, I will never take our jobs because you can't replace this. And you kind of go, actually, you're the ones you might need to watch out for because you're being, A, very complacent about it. But you're absolutely right. They're thinking, whatever happens, everything's going to change. Everything's going to shift a little bit. But there's certain fields, I think, that some repositioning needs to be done. Do they they, do like podcast co-hosts? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we could definitely do that, no problem. I'm not here right now. Can you? But I mean, it, it's totally true. They, everybody probably got shit scared when it was the industrial revolution and the manufacturing revolution. When the tech, the original tech booms, like, what's this going to do to all of our jobs? We just adapt. Of course you do. Yeah. And change. And look at look at COVID. Everyone just pivots. You just pivot, don't you? And do something different. And did, did you see the report yesterday about three quarters of UK bosses or corporates have said that they made the wrong decisions about working from home after COVID, mm. that they've reneged on what they've told their employees because they're admitting now, we got it wrong, we were far too liberal, we yeah. need people to be back face-to-face, yeah. back in offices. Well, the irony of that is that Zoom have made all their people go back in the office. I mean, mm. that's just hilarious, isn't it? Yeah, it's <laughs> corporates absolutely blown up <laughs> over COVID have now gone, yeah, we need everyone back. Yeah. I think loads of people having a U-turn. And I know from first hand, I work from home most of the time. I also suffer with mental health issues and anxiety, and it doesn't actually help me. Mm. I actually need structure. Mm. And I've realized over the last few months that I need routine, I need structure, I need to know I'm responsible for certain things. Now, it's really hard because I, I've got 50% custody of my kids. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays are about my kids. So I work shorter hours, etc. Thursdays and Fridays, I can work longer. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it does prove hard getting into the office for some people. That's not because I don't want to go. I just, it's pointless being yeah. there. I can go home and do almost a full day's work with no one around. So I think, yes, you're absolutely right there. And that report would say, yeah, most people and most businesses. But now you've told everyone they can do it. The reluctance is, is bonkers. The it amount is. of people that are quitting now, do it for more. No, yeah. I'm not going into that expectation. But, which is fine if you're a proven expert in your field and you don't need support and you're not in a position where you need further development. Absolutely, you can crack on in your own space and time. And people have been doing that for years. I mean, developers just put their headphones on. They just want to sit in a car. They don't want to talk to people. They just mm. want to crack on. A lot of the recruitment jobs, they all want to work from home. And that's great to give them the flexibility. But how am I going to train you on the job? Well, you can just do online training. I can, but what about real-time training? What about mm. if I overhear you on the phone to a customer say something that yeah. I think was brilliant and I want to tell you how brilliant it was? I'm not going to hear that if you're at home. 
And I do think a lot of people, you're in a bit of a pandemic in terms of people's mental health being sat there on their own all day at home. Mm. You know, I have ironing and hoovering and stuff I do around me. I've got a cleaner, I still hoover my ass three times a day because I've got to look at, I must do some work. Shit, I've got nothing to do. Hoover! <laughs> Quickly, put the clothes away. What do I do? Oh no, I've got to pick the kids up. So that interaction with people's massive. It's priceless, isn't it? Yeah. If you were in recruitment, what would you be doing? Well, I'd like to say I'd be an actor. I'd probably just be, I tell you what, my favourite job ever when I was a kid growing up I wanted to work for the council and drive the ride on lawnmowers and cut the school fields nice. <laughs> I would love and I still want to do that job you're debating Ooh. getting a ride on lawnmower which I think is a total waste of money it is a total the garden's waste. big enough it's you're not big enough <laughs> no, but the my, garden's my pretty big but it's not it. massive right. but I've got a robot lawnmower yeah. oh, okay. and literally pride and joy I, lo- I mow the lawn twice a day. I must have watched it. Well, you've been around quite a lot. We must have watched it for days it and days on end. There's something so therapeutic There's people that about think we it. don't get on when they see me in Trent in the back garden at his house having a beer because they think they're not speaking to each other. We're just watching the lawnmower going back and forth. It's Honestly, totally it is so, so therapeutic. You, can, you watch it like turn a corner and like in 10 yards you see a clump of grass that hasn't been touched for a couple of days. Yeah, and you just sat there thinking, I can't wait to hear it go <laughs> slightly, slightly slightly more deep than the other places. <laughs> See all the grass like, yeah, splash sure. out. Oh, you can't beat it. <laughs> if people want to find you, where do they find more information about you, Ali? Uh, LinkedIn is my go-to. I've deleted all other social media last year, so LinkedIn, Ali Marshall, Inco Talent, Brookwood Recruitment. They can find me, look me up, look at my recommendations, look at my business, everything's on there. You're a very open person. Yeah. I like to share a lot of stuff on LinkedIn that's not necessarily kind of, oh, look at me, humble brag type stuff. More so just to let people know that it's okay to speak out about certain things or, mm. you know, I'm struggling with X or I'm struggling with Y and being quite open and honest about that. I just want other people to know that, you know, it's all right to say you're mentally ill. That's mm. okay. Mm. Lots of people are. Mm. That's cool. I don't speak much about that kind of stuff. But you don't hide from it? No, not at all. I don't hide from a lot of stuff. It's just, you know, it's life, unfortunately. Mm. These things happen. you just got to get on with it. But I... I'm, as I say, I'm really quite open and honest on LinkedIn and I'm not very serious. I'm genuine. Hopefully people think I'm a bit authentic. I don't think there's anybody that will listen to this and not think that we've got a flavour of the real you. No, I would hope that this is the real me. Well, I really enjoyed that. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank yes. you, Ali. We'll be on Amazon Prime taking a look at... What was the name? Dreams Ashes. Dreams Ashes. Yeah. Can you give us a 30 seconds synopsis? I can't quite remember all of it. It was like 2005, but it's about a young hoodlum in Leeds who's involved in drugs. Wife or girlfriend gets pregnant and there's some kind of like moody gangster type stuff involved in it, I think. With hilarious consequences. Well, absolutely. <laughs> Do you wow. happen to know the IMDb it was, it was, score? Yeah, it's quite high actually. Is it? Yeah, yeah, unbelievably. It's like seven points and fifty. Have a look at it. On episode six, we shall be feeding back on how that film was. <laughs> thank you, Ali. No worries, thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Mate. What an absolute delight of a man. He's a nice guy, isn't he? He's a lovely bloke. How many times were you sat there thinking you are discussing problems about other businesses or just discussing things about other businesses and we're both sat there thinking, yep, yep. Yep, us, tick, (laughs) tick. You can tell that he's absolutely besotted with people. Maybe you don't get that all the time from recruitment consultants, but it comes through loud and clear with them, doesn't it? Yeah, he's just a very lovely, successful bloke. You know what else is interesting about these people when they come and do these podcasts? Go on. Now that they're driving on the way here, they're listening to the podcast, they're quoting bits back to us, and it's kind of a bit surreal to think, ah, we just did that a couple of weeks ago, and now people are quoting back bits of the podcast back to us. It's like, oh yeah, I heard that in the way in. 
Oh yeah, I forgot that it exists outside this little studio space. We want to talk about this uh, teaser that I set up at the beginning of the uh, episode. I give you a picture. You did. Just recap the picture in, so the, the, in the, the sentence. The picture is of four men lying down on what looks like military-issued beds. What year do you think it is? I'd say 1908, okay. I guess. What's on them? Um, two of them have dogs on, two of them do not. So I mm. don't know if that's a thing. You've asked about dogs a few times now, so now I'm like, mm, dogs. There's a purpose to the dogs as well. But... They're definitely stretching their arms out in front of them. So they're doing something there and they're certainly not sleeping. So I'm going to guess that in 1908, they didn't have stand-up desks and they didn't want to be sat down all day. Mm -hmm. So they're lying down quite straight, stretching out their arms, doing a task. They are sharpening pencils all day, all night because... They haven't invented the one that goes, and that's what they're doing. The dogs are there because the culture of the company was as such that you could take your dogs to work. (laughs) (laughs) That's my shout. (laughs) That's quite funny, pal. Thank you. You're pretty much right. Really? Yeah, that's that's pretty much bang it. But that's what. So the photo is from 1902. Is it actually? It is French knife grinders. So sharpening so knives, sharpening not... rather than pencils, they would work on their stomachs. And why would they do that? Not to be stood up all day. Correct, <clears throat> because it made no sense whatsoever for them to be sitting down all day, hunched over. So it was basically the original kind of smart desk or the original kind of way of standing <laughs> up. So they were just lying down because it would make more sense for them to lie down and do that job than being hunched over a knife grinder all day. Why did they bring the dogs to work? Because what they're going to do at home. It's 1902. Yep. Not all of them have got dogs, though. So they're not issued by the company. They bought them in themselves. Mm -hmm. It's not like childcare. Not... (laughs) (laughs) They couldn't... couldn't Two of them have got babies in between their uh, legs. The reason they're dogs with them is because they had no heating in 1902. Ah, hot water dogs. Exactly. So the dogs were inclined to be brought in so that they would heat... The chaps yeah, while they were grinding the knives. And you know what they were called? What, the dogs or? These, the guys doing this job, they were called... Knife sharpeners. Ventre jaune. That was a good accent then. And that stands for yellow bellies in English. And why would they be called yellow bellies? Because they've got yellow bellies. No, the wheel be putting up some kind of dust from the sharpening. Uh, and that's, they were called the I, yellow I bellies. Thought, I think that would be a bit uncomfortable. It probably would be. Because you know when you lie down, especially on your front, like let's say you're sunbathing, yeah. you're on your front for a bit to get your back like the same as your front. Yeah. Don't you get a bit uncomfortable? And also, what I find is if you put your face slash chin on the sunbed, that is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It can, like makes your neck a bit odd. But then when you take it off, it's almost like a, a dangling head, which is quite heavy, and then it hurts in that way. So I would, I'd really worry about that. When you sunbathe, do you go right to the end then and prefer to put your head over it and read yeah, your book? Yeah, put my book on the floor, yeah. Where'd you put it on the floor? But then you go, ah, after 45 minutes and then have to turn around. Yeah. What about you, pal? I don't know. I think I, I very rarely sunbathe. Says you there looking like the brownest man ever who's been to Northern Ireland last week. We've got a couple of more exciting guests coming up, mate. Do you know who we've got coming up? 
we've got a load of people coming up because I was going to throw out a kind of solicit for anybody who genuinely is interested in coming and being a guest in the podcast because we're open to it. But we have got a bit of a backlog of people that have gone in touch with us. So who have we got coming up? We've got two founders of Fast Growth Alcohol and Beverage Companies. Phew. Delicious nice. ones at that. Nice. Delicious ones. Delicious ones. Great blokes. Thank you very much for listening to another episode. It has been a good one today. I've enjoyed it very much. But if you wanted to search us and check us out after Richard, how do you do so? If you're a fan of LinkedIn, you can find us at Business Interrupted. You can also find links there to both Trent and myself should be in, you be in any way interested in anything we've got to say for each other. You can find us on Instagram at Trent and Richard and you can find us on Twitter slash X slash whatever that platform is called by typing in any old governs and you'll probably find us on there somewhere. Right, anyway, we'll see you next time on Business Interrupted. Toot Hit subscribe on your podcast platform to receive every episode first. And don't forget to follow us at Business Interrupted. <laughs>